should or would Hillary Clinton graciously drop out of the presidential race? We'll discuss it with Democratic pundit Carl Jeffers. And can you be for protecting the environment without believing there's a global warming problem? The vice chairman of General Motors is defending his statement to that effect and taking flack for it. This is Jerry Johnson Live from Crystal College. Join us as we look at today's news from the Christian worldview for Christ and culture. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. That's one small step for man. December 7th, 1941, a date which will live in infamy. I have a dream. It depends upon what the meaning of the word is. And the people who knock these buildings down will hear all of us soon. We will not tire. We will not falter. And we will not fail. Welcome to Jerry Johnson Live. For the next hour, this is your place for relevant discussion of topics in the news and in our culture from a Christian perspective. Your host is Dr. Jerry Johnson, president of Criswell College and Criswell Communications. Later in the show, we'll open the toll-free lines for your questions and comments. You may also email us at talk at jerryjohnsonlive.com. Now, here's your host, Dr. Jerry Johnson. Shame on you, Barack Obama. All right, that's Hillary Clinton going tough on Barack Obama. This is a far cry from what she said at the last debate. I am honored to be here with Barack Obama. I am absolutely honored. And, you know... Okay, is it, is it shame or is it honor? Here's Bill Clinton. How dare you? How dare you? All right. Uh, This campaign is getting rough. Newsweek's Jonathan Alter says Hillary Clinton has only one shot to win the Democratic presidential nomination, and that's for Obama to trip up so badly he disqualifies himself. That's probably not going to happen. Also, journalist Robert Novak wonders today in the Washington Post, who will tell Hillary it's over? Should she drop out now? Is she getting shrilled because she's getting desperate? We're going to talk about that in just a minute. Uh, General Motors Vice Chairman Bob Lutz uh, says global warming is a, uh, well, a blank. And, uh, but his company is still building environmentally friendly vehicles. We're going to talk about whether or not global warming is real. And if it is, is it a good reason to, be, to spend billions of dollars to stop it? Our guest later in the program will be Christopher Horner. He is author of The Politically Correct incorrect guide to global warming all right here is barack obama he is going after hillary clinton her record on nafta listen carefully we can't keep passing unfair trade deals like nafta that put special interests over workers interests now last couple of days we've been having a little bit of a debate about nafta Uh, senator clinton's been going to great lengths on the campaign trail to distance herself from NAFTA. Yesterday she said NAFTA was negotiated by the first President Bush, not by her husband. But let's be clear, it was her husband who got NAFTA passed. In her own book, Senator Clinton called NAFTA one of Bill's successes and legislative victories. Yesterday, Senator Clinton also said, I'm wrong to point out that she once supported NAFTA, but the fact is, 
She was great, saying great things about NAFTA until she started running for president. All right, why is this important? Texas is the decisive state. If Clinton loses here, it's over. But actually, Newsweek's Jonathan Alter says it's already over for Clinton. So does Robert Novak. Let's talk to an expert, Carl Jeffers, host of the syndicated talk show On Fire with Carl Jeffers, a regular here on Jerry Johnson Live. Carl, welcome to the program. What do you make of Jonathan Alter's directive today to Hillary Clinton to get out of the race? Well, I, I, I respect Jonathan Alter, Jerry, and it's good to be here with you in Canada today. It's certainly uh, uh, good to join your listeners. Um, I respect Jonathan Alter. He's a very reasonable mind and a, and a, and a very astute uh, 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 analyst. And he's, he's on the right path here. Uh, Hillary Clinton, in my judgment, has to win Texas, Ohio, and Pennsylvania to stay in the race. And notice, I did not say win one or the other or two out of three. She has to win all three. If she loses either Texas or Ohio, if she loses either, I think that the nomination fight would have to be over for her. And if she wins both Ohio and Texas and then loses a week and a half later in Pennsylvania, it's over. She has to win all three. Now, the reality is, if she wins in Texas and Ohio and Pennsylvania, Jerry, then the reality is, is that at that point, Hillary Clinton will be able to say, I have won New York, New Jersey. I have won Florida and Michigan, even though they don't count. California. I've, I've won California. And now I've won Texas and Ohio and Pennsylvania. And I'm telling you, Jerry, you cannot be the Democratic nominee for the Democratic Party running for president and not have won any of those states because those are the states that the Democrats need to win and win big in November. A lot of those states that Barack Obama ran up, the uh, 10 in a row and now total of 21, many of those states, as you very well know, Jerry, the Democrats are not going to win in November, period. But the states that Hillary is winning, if she can add Ohio and Texas and Pennsylvania, are the states that Democrats have to win and must win. And if you count Florida and, and, and Michigan in terms of the ultimate November election, that becomes absolutely mandatory. And the last thing I would say about that is that even if she loses uh, Texas or Ohio, I do think that the race is over for her, and I agree with Jonathan Alter on that. But remember... If she loses, though, Barack Obama still will not have won the delegates needed to win on the first ballot. So it would still be a subjective choice on her part to drop out. But the reason I believe he would be right at that point, if she were to lose those states, is that if she lost Ohio or, or, or Texas, the superdelegates would be under so much pressure at that point that I believe they would then, in enough numbers, start to openly move over to Barack Obama, and thus the nomination would be his. But just remember, technically, even if she loses, I agree that it's over, but technically that does not wrap up the nomination for Barack Obama on the first ballot until the superdelegates would then openly start to drift over in major numbers to Barack Obama as a result of her losing. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. We're talking to Carl Jeffers about the call today for Hillary Clinton to get out of the race now. Uh, we have asked last week if you supported Obama to give us a call. Today, we're asking you if you support Hillary Clinton to give us a call. The number is 800-881-9270. We want to hear from you. 800-881-9270. Carl, I'm wondering at what price these three states could come 
uh, over into the Clinton camp. That's Texas, Ohio, and Pennsylvania. I mean, that is Hillary is going really negative. She's getting shrill. Now, she said today, shame on you, Barack Obama. And she said it at the end of the speech, but actually it applied to every phrase in that speech. And we have put all of that together. Shame on you. This is Hillary Clinton. I want you to listen to this, Carl, and then respond to this sound. Shame on you, Barack Obama. You hear one thing in speeches, and then you see a campaign that has the worst kind of tactics. Shame on you, Barack Obama, reminiscent of the same sort of Republican attacks on Democrats. Shame on you, Barack Obama. Well, I am here to say, shame on you, Barack Obama, that it is not only wrong, but it is undermining core democratic principles. Shame on you, Barack Obama. Since when do Democrats attack one another on universal health care? Shame on you, Barack Obama. I thought we were trying to realize Harry Truman's dream. Shame on you, Barack Obama. I thought this campaign finally gave us an opportunity to put together a coalition to achieve universal health care. Shame on you, Barack Obama. That's what Senator Edwards and I fought for and talked about throughout the campaign. Just because Senator Obama chose not to present a universal health care plan does not give him the right to attack me because I did. Shame on you, Barack Obama. So let's have a real campaign. Enough with the speeches and the big rallies and then using tactics that are right out of Karl Rove's playbook. Shame on you, Barack Obama. This is wrong, and every Democrat should be outraged. Shame on you, Barack Obama, because this is the kind of attack that not only undermines core Democratic values, but gives aid and comfort to the very special interests and their allies in the Republican Party who are against doing what we want to do for America. So shame on you, Barack Obama. All right. Uh, that's Hillary Clinton. Of course, we've had a little fun with this. Carl Jeffers is our guest. And Carl, uh, at least she put together some substantive issues there because last week it was, you know, in my mind, uh, sort of reaching for her to pull that plagiarism charge on Barack Obama. What do you think of that? Uh, well, a couple of things. One, I thought the, the plagiarism charge, I think we can dispense with that quickly. Uh, I think that was a strategic mistake on the part of the uh, Clinton campaign, um, and basically because the research shows that um, if, in fact, the author of the words that you're using uh, not only supports you using those words, but suggests that you use them, and that's what was the case with uh, Governor Yeah, uh, that's not Obama. plagiarism. I'm sorry? So that's not plagiarism. So that's not really plagiarism, and not in the way that you could make a charge like that she was making. So I think they aired there. Doesn't that show I, she's getting desperate, though? I, well, I, I was going to say, I also think that, there, that she aired strategically in using that line in the debate about uh, this is not change you can believe in, it's change you can Xerox. Yep. I think that that cheapens her a bit, and she should have avoided that. Now, having said those, both uh, acknowledge that both of those are strategic. I do think that the way you, you know, and you did acknowledge that you manipulated that, but if a listener is just listening to that, uh, that's actually not the way she said that. But I, and you acknowledged honestly that you were having some fun with that. But in terms of the, what she was actually saying, uh, you have to remember a couple of things. One, uh, she's a candidate who has uh, come almost close to the same number of votes that Barack Obama's had. Um, she ran a campaign where she was, in fact, 
of, of favored and had been the, the front runner. I mean, it is, not ex- it is not expected for her to just simply drop out. And the reality is, if you are at her position, Rudy Giuliani never got off the ground, even though he was the front runner for a year, but that was before anybody started voting. And so that was different. But, but Hillary Clinton was the front runner. She's gotten almost 9 million votes, uh, about uh, 800,000 votes less than Barack Obama in the total campaign. And she had been considered the most serious candidate. And at this point, if you're up against the final stand, which is knowing that, in fact, if you lose this next week and a half of these two or three primaries, uh, that the race is over, it is expected that you will make every effort to draw a line in the sand and to try to contrast the, the, the final the differences that you can make between your campaign and the one that Obama is running. And I also have to say that she has to be affected by the fact, because I was shocked, and I analyze these things every day, more impressive than the 17-point victory that Obama won in Wisconsin, more impressive was the fact that in almost four days, he closed a 12-point gap yeah. in Texas. In almost four mm-hmm. days, he closed it to within a point, and now he's actually even if not a point ahead, and the latest poll that came out this morning shows him in Ohio running about two to three points ahead, and she had a 15-point lead in Ohio just two weeks ago. Momentum still with Obama. Carl, we've got to go. Thank you so much for being with us today. You're welcome. And we hope to have you back soon. I look forward to it. All right, we've opened up the lines for folks that support Hillary Clinton. We've got Ginger on the line. Ginger, you're still there. Tell us why you support Senator Clinton. Uh, basically, it's more due to her experience, I guess, with her husband and being a, uh, being a president. But it just seems like uh, it's put out there a little bit more. I don't know if Obama's got the experience. Uh, I mean, he sounds real good and everything looks real flowery. But bottom line is, it, it, whenever we're talking about war and trying to make peace, I don't know if he can pull the weight or the pressure of it. Okay, Ginger, we're going to go and actually we're going to listen now to Barack o- to Hillary Clinton. She's uh, mocking Barack Obama on that vision. Let's just get everybody together. Let's get unified. The sky will open. The light will come down. Celestial choirs will be singing. And everyone will know we should do the right thing and the world will be perfect. Maybe I've just lived a little long, but I have no illusions about how hard this is going to be. You are not going to wave a magic wand and have the special interest disappear. Okay, is it experience or vision? We'll talk about it when we come back. And global warming. Hey, what are you doing with your life? If you're interested in doing ministry at college or just doing something for Christ now, come to Chriswell College and learn how you can get your education and get trained for ministry. Chriswell College in Dallas offers fully accredited bachelor's and master's degrees in biblical studies, youth ministry, missions, evangelism, counseling, and more. If you'd like to come and check us out, we're having a preview day on February 28th from 8.30 until 1 o'clock. Preview Day is a free event where you can send in on some classes, have lunch with professors, ask any questions that you may have, and worship with us in chapel. Give us a call today at 214-818-1393 to reserve your spot. We would love to help you out and answer any questions that you may have. Call us, 214-818-1393, or go to chriswell.edu. 
Call 800-899-0012 for more information about Preview Day at the Criswell College. You can also see more information on the web at criswell.edu. The Criswell College in Dallas. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's your host, Dr. Jerry Johnson, president of Criswell College and Criswell Communications. One feels an obligation, Tim, to try to open the doorways, to try to get better ballot access, to respect dissent in America in the terms of third parties and, and independent candidates, to recognize historically the great issues have come in our history against slavery, women's rights to vote, and worker and farmer progressives through little parties that never ran, won any national election. Dissent is the mother of assent. And in that context, I have decided to run for president. This is Jerry Johnson Live, and that is Ralph Nader. He's announced he's running again for president of the United States. He ran before as a Green Party candidate, probably helped elect President Bush, pulling away votes in Florida from Al Gore, the environmental president. That uh, never happened. And um, he's going to be running, I imagine, again on the Green Party ticket. And uh, they would stress, I think, environmental issues. What's happening with the environment? In fact, today, we're in the low 80s down here in Texas. Mm -hmm. I mean, we felt like we were almost into the summer. But uh, the National Post today running a story, forget global warming, welcome to the new ice age. Snow cover over North America and much of Siberia, Mongolia, and China is greater than at any time since 1966. So which is it? Global cooling or global warming? We need to know. Well, General Motors is also in the news because its vice chairman, Bob Lutz, has defended some remarks he made uh, dismissing global warming as, uh, well, he used some different language, but basically he's saying it's bogus. He says his views have no bearing on GM's commitment to build environmentally friendly vehicles. He is also the... uh, the product development chief there at GM, and he's been under fire from Internet bloggers because last month uh, he made this quote uh, in uh, remarks made to reporters in Texas, and he posted on his blog that those spewing virtual vitriol at him for minimizing the threat of climate change are missing the big picture. He said they shouldn't be forming these opinions because what GM is doing is hugely beneficial to the causes they so enthusiastically claim to support. I want to ask an expert about this, and we do have one with us. He's Christopher Horner. He's a Washington, D.C. attorney specializing in environmental policy, and he has testified before the U.S. Senate and all kinds of uh, groups in in Europe and in the Parliament. He is the author of a new book, The Politically Incorrect Guide to Global Warming and Environmentalism. And Chris, thanks for joining us. It's my pleasure. Thank you. I think the question, the first question I have for you is, uh, do you have to believe there's global warming to want to clean up the environment, to want to have environmentally friendly policies? No, and in fact, they're completely distinct issues. Um, Global warming is, uh, by that phrase, we intend usually man-made global warming. Uh, And that is a way to get at the apparently reprehensible modern lifestyle, industrial productivity, our wealth, that is the envy of the world to provide safety and security for our families, because every environmental indicator has been improving for decades. That is, pollutants, particulate matters in the air, hazardous pollutants, water quality improving, soil quality improving, air quality, obviously. Um, The one thing that even 
otherwise optimistic environmentalists like Greg Easterbrook will grab onto is, yes, but carbon dioxide emissions are going up. Now, that's not the same as a pollutant. Carbon dioxide is what you learned it was as a child. It's what plants take in to subject us to the horrors of photosynthesis. It's necessary for life on Earth. <laughs> uh, it's, it's a completely distinct issue from cleaning up the environment. So, in fact, I, I guess you could say they're, they're almost exact opposites, because if you adopt the global warming agenda, then you will ensure a dirtier environment, because we know one thing. If we adopt it here, we will be exporting pollution, because people will go where they don't have these fairly unilateral restrictions. You will be uh, exporting poverty, and that's one thing we don't need to do. Not only Let me jump in a minute, Chris, because, yeah. you know, you mentioned that uh, we are actually improving the environment in this country, and it's because yes. of our technological development. And we've had some legislation, but not the draconian stuff that uh, the global warming hawks want. And, you know, I can testify to this because I grew up in Southern California, and I remember, you know, the tears running down my face living in Pasadena up against the, the mountains. And it's not like that anymore mm-hmm. uh, because, you know, they've managed to, to clean up the air in various uh, places where it was really bad. So, you know, really what the answer to these environmental problems is, is prosperity and, right. and uh, you know, businesses doing what they can afford to do if they are making enough money to do so. Am I correct? Right. right. Here, right. Here's the thing. We know the following. We know that wealthier is healthier. Compare our environment. I have some wonderful PowerPoint slides that I can't show you right now that show you malaria outbreaks, for example, in North America throughout the past century. And you'll notice that the dividing line quite often runs consistent with our, bo- our, our national borderline, uh, if you look down in the Texas region, for example. Um, wealthier is healthier. Wealthier is cleaner. In other words, our environment is cleaner than Mexico. You know about the Maquiadora plants just over the, the border. Um, we also know this. Only wealthy societies impose on themselves the expensive indulgences of environmental regulation. You can go to Africa and talk to them about a Clean Air Act, and after they get done laughing or crying, they're going to ask you to help them find a <laughs> dose of medicine, food, or fuel. Okay? And only healthy economies in wealthy societies add on that next layer. You have to understand that we're now measuring and regulating, therefore, things in the parts per billion that we used to be able to measure in the parts per thousand, so we regulated them in the parts per thousand, then the parts per million. So, um, But it's only during healthy economic times that societies will impose more of these on them because the ancient Chinese proverb, it's not like a TV commercial for laundry soap, but the ancient Chinese <laughs> proverb is that if there is food on the table, there are many problems, but if, if there's no food on the table, there's only one problem. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. We're talking to Chris Horner. He's written the book, The Politically Incorrect Guide to Global Warming and Environmentalism. Chris, uh, let me ask you to listen here to uh, briefly to Al Gore. America is the natural leader of the world, and our world faces a true planetary emergency. All right, Chris, here's my question. He says this is a planetary emergency, and I have a twofold question, really. Uh, How significant is the recent warming trend? Is it reversing? That is, in the short term, do you believe the warming trend that we talked about for the last 10 years is is now reversing? And then would you back up even thousands of years? Uh, is this cyclical? Is this part of a, a cycle back and forth with cooling and warming? Right. What's your view on that? Okay. Uh, well, I can only tell you what the literature says, the scientific literature, which is 
what Mr. Gore actually pretends to tell you when it comes to that chart he's about to describe in that movie. Um, here's what we have. We know that we are in the fourth year straight of cooling. Okay, most be, I'm sure you've heard that, right? The media loves to tell you that. Uh, the, warming, <laughs> the warming that began in 1978 uh, came on the heels of three decades of cooling, which began in about 1940, eh, mid-1940, which followed a warming period. Again, <clears throat> it was warmer in the 1930s than it is today. In fact, NASA recently revised their data because two Canadians doing those jobs Americans won't do, apparently, discovered that NASA, with Gore's advisor James Hansen, um, at, at the helm of this particular office had falsely inserted a warming trend in U.S. data beginning in the year 2000. So we know that 1900 in America was warmer than the year 2000. Okay, that, that hurts the theory. We know that the warming peaked in 1998. It was about 20 years long. We know it leveled off in 2002, and it's been cooling since. Okay, we know this. That's that, The reason we're, we're measuring the atmosphere, billions, that's almost $2 billion of of your money every year, and we're ignoring the data because it doesn't fit the agenda, is because in the late 1970s we had a panic over the cooling and we put up satellites to measure the lower troposphere. So that's how we know what the temperature is doing. On the surface, yes, you can warm the surface very easily. You can pave it, and we're doing that. The surface is warming slightly, but this isn't a surface theory. This is about the atmosphere. Mm. Now, if you go back in a longer view than the last century, which is necessary for these geophysical phenomena, we know that, for example, it's always warming and cooling at the same time. You just tell me what your agenda is, and I'll tell you the year to begin. <laughs> if your agenda, oh, it's true. If your agenda is um, uh, warming, then you will start in, for example, for years, we were told since 1860 it's warmed a degree Fahrenheit. Uh, and I'm from Virginia, where we call that the War of the Northern Aggression. We say, what is 1860? Okay, that's an arbitrary year, except it's known as. Uh, the end of the Little Ice Age, mm. which was a several hundred year long period of very miserable yes. times because it was very cool and very cloudy. Crop yields fell, infant mortality went up, life spans were shorter, and so on. Disease was rampant, you know about the plague, and so on. Before that, it was warmer when the Vikings farmed Greenland, and they did, and it wasn't called Greenland just for marketing purposes, and it <laughs> wasn't a regional phenomenon. And before that, 2,000 years ago, during the Roman warming, when Christ walked the earth, it was much warmer than today. So we know that climate changes. In fact, it's the, one con- it's the one thing we know in this entire debate. And yet if I tell you climate changes, it always has, it always will, I'm called a climate change denier. Mm. Yeah, and that's uh, co-equal to Holocaust denier for some people. Well, folks, this is Christopher Horner talking with us. He's the author of The Politically Incorrect Guide to Global Warming. Uh, when we come back, we're going to ask him about those polar bears and penguins. Are they at risk? Are they going to become extinct? I'm going to ask him also about China and India. If we adopted, in America, if we adopted these drastic measures that uh, many of the alarmists are proposing... Would what India is doing, would what China is doing, completely uh, erase and nullify uh, any action we would be taking here? This is Jerry Johnson Live with Pennedexter, broadcasting from Criswell College. Our guest, Christopher Horner, he'll be back with us after the break. The book, The Politically Incorrect Guide to Global Warming and Environmentalism. Remember this, the Bible says, the earth is is the Lord's, not the earth is the Lord. We'll also talk about the religious and philosophical commitment of many of the extremists. We'll be right back.
You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's your host, Dr. Jerry Johnson, president of Criswell College and Criswell Communications. I'm not a math guy. Uh, I'm more of a miracle guy. Uh, so at this point, I'm going to focus on the miracle part. All right, that's Mike Huckabee on Saturday Night Live and uh, making fun of his chances, really, to become the next president of the United States. We'll continue to follow that story. But you're listening to Jerry Johnson Live, and our guest is Christopher Horner. He's written the book, The Politically Incorrect Guide to Global Warming. How bad is it? Uh, Christopher, welcome back. Look, we're hearing about the penguins, the polar bears. Uh, they're, they're at risk, and we're also told that Floods and droughts and hurricanes, even the tornadoes in Tennessee last week. John Kerry said those tornadoes were because of global warming. Would you tell us, really, are these species at risk right now? Do you think, you know, that um, we should take this anecdotal evidence of every every storm seriously? Well, the the polar bear, if we dare to look at the data, have proliferated. They were uh, a population of 5,000 in the 1950s, and they're now about 25,000. Wow. So the, the trajectory is going the wrong way if we're going to claim <laughs> that they're threatened. Uh, they're doing quite well. Of the you know, two populations seem to be suffering. I believe those are where it's cooling in the Arctic. Uh, uh, Eleven are thriving or uh, growing or stable of the 13 measured, and two you don't have enough uh, uh, data on. So the polar bear is fine. Uh, you could impose all of the restrictions that the alarmists are asking for, and they have nothing to do with climate or polar bears. They have to do with lifestyle and wealth creation. And you would not save more polar bears than, if you were serious about this, uh, a restriction on on the number of hides that you're allowed to bring back, because you do need to, uh, a permit to bring them back if you're an American. So there are ways, if, you're, if, if, if the claimed threat is, if the issue really is the issue, which it rarely is, then there are ways to skin that cat, so to speak, without uh, deindustrializing, The penguins at the other end of the planet, and I know that's news to NBC, NBC just ran a package to tell us about the threatened pol- uh, the, the, the terror in the Antarctic, and uh, which, by the way, the ice mass is at a record high, and it's cooling with the exception of 2% of its coast, which is experiencing a melt, 2%. Mm, uh, so that's the 2% you hear about. Um, they showed us images of the polar bear, and this news story, therefore, should have been, how did this bear get to the other side of the planet? Most of the people reporting on these issues don't have any idea what they're talking about. They're passing along received wisdom, and that is that things are getting worse everywhere all the time, and it's our fault. If we would only, as Matt Lauer said, uh, the NBC news anchor, we know the problem. There are too many of us having too many babies, taking up too much space, having too much stuff. And generally what the alarmists mean by that is there's just enough of them, way too many of you and me. But it does all come down to population but not polar bear or, or penguin populations. They are doing just fine. Yeah. Okay, so it's people are the problems, and you've said that the fix uh, involves deindustrializing, and that's where I want to go, uh, Christopher Horner, that uh, the environment has always been a way that international organizations sort of organize getting control over countries. And so, you know, could you connect, and now global warming is just, I think, convenient in a sense, mm-hmm. um, and it's... Uh, so it's a way that they would like to control the developed countries. What is behind this hatred of capitalism? You know, I, I was accused of being mean to the Greens and the Reds when I called them Greens and Reds, which is what they call themselves over in Europe where I work part-time. They are in coalition government together whenever the Greens or the Reds are elected. That's not a coincidence. 
they're in coalition together right now in Italy, though that government just fell. Spain, they were in Germany, and so on. Um, they share an agenda, and they just have a minor turn of the prism as to what they view as the root cause of what they dislike in the world, and it all comes down ultimately to capitalism. Capitalism facilitates the thing that the Reds don't like and the Greens don't like. It just comes down to wealth creation, essentially. So, what's the best way to put a lid on that? Well, we like it, capitalism in this country, so why would we bow to that? Well, we do, except it, it, it can get a bad name because people don't defend it. Back when I was growing up, uh, a chemical company had a billboard all across America that, that spread the message, better living through chemistry. And now industry apologizes for what it does, except for the one GM official you referenced. They're generally, if you listen to For- William Ford, you wonder why they're not making bicycles. And I'm not kidding. Read his text. <laughs> you wonder why they're, they're busy apologizing for what they do, um, you know, subjecting millions to the horrors of affordable automobility, which, of course, is part of the American dream. Safe, comfortable automobility for your family. Instead, industry apologizes for what they do, uh, with rare exception. So we give capitalism a bad name. We allow it to be attacked. It is sort of a, it's not as dirty a word as maybe liberal, for example, has been made a pejorative. Capitalism is like that, and it shouldn't be. So we need to defend it and point out that it, it is creation of wealth that, that provides a clean economy. Even the United Nations of all authorities tells us that until a society gets to, this is a fairly wealthy uh, uh, point, about $5,000 per capita per year in wealth creation and income, they destroy the environment as opposed to improve it. So even the U.N. acknowledges that with wealth comes the imposition on yourself of uh, stewardship, which, frankly, in slash-and-burn economies or hand-to-mouth doesn't really exist. Thank you so much. Christopher Horner has written the book, The Politically Incorrect Guide to Global Warming and Environmentalism. Christopher, we hope to have you back again. Thank you very much. All right, folks, remember the Bible says this, God made man and in his image, and he said, Be fruitful and multiply and have dominion over the fish of the sea, the fowls of the air, and every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. There was a stewardship, a ruling, a dominion, and God put Adam and Eve in that garden to tend it. And I thought when Christopher used the word stewardship, that was key. We are in stewardship, but generally you don't begin thinking that way until you live in an advanced mode and setting. These people in Africa, in India, many of them are in survival-only mode, and they're burning campfires every day simply because that's the only way they can cook or heat or have light. And um, so technology is not the enemy. Um, Modernization is not the enemy. In many cases, uh, this is part of the solution, and we're going to stay on top of that story's story. Now we've got to shift gears, and uh, we have a breaking piece of news yesterday over in Fort Worth. We've been on top of this story, and I want to talk to our Christians, our Baptists out there, particularly, what do you think about Broadway Baptist Church? We're going to open up the lines right now, 1-800-881-9270, 800-881-9270. The rest of this segment and the last segment, we're going to talk about this church because here uh, we've been following this controversy. They're doing a pictorial directory, and some homosexual couples say, we want to be in there as partners, like a man and a woman, a man and a man, or a woman and a woman. And the church is struggling with that decision. The pastor, 
uh, Mr. Younger, Brett Younger, pushing for that, for approval of that. The church saying, oh, he's taking us too liberal too fast. That church has been moving down the moderate to liberal road for many, many years in the SBC context, and uh, this is the end. This is what you get when you say the Bible is not inerrant, not infallible, not authoritative. Uh, You're going to say, well, the Bible then doesn't tell us about home life or family life or marriage life or those attitudes that Paul had or Moses had. Those are Old Testament patriarchal societies or Paul was operating in some uh, homophobic culture. And so you find a way to undercut the authority of Scripture. Well, you end up with this. You can't even have a pictorial directory. So a week or so ago... um, There was a petition in this church to vacate the pulpit. That means to fire the pastor. And they had the requisite signatures to force the vote. And that is still up for question. It's up for debate. But what the church did Sunday, now watch this, it's very important. This church decided they will have group pictures. They're not going to allow families to be in pictures. Um, And they won't have individual couples. But they'll be in groups, you know, like fellowship groups and fun groups and maybe the softball group. But you can't have mom and dad the and the kids in a picture. Group. Because if they try to, to group as families, by implication, you either include or exclude the homosexual couples. Now, Penny, you made an observation before the program here. Uh, we've often said that if you concede homosexual marriage, what happens to the family? Well, if you concede it in law or even in practice, and this is what's being done here, you lose the ability to speak out against it. So if you legislate sin, if you accept or mainstream sin, then you cannot oppose sin. And that's what's happening at Broadway Baptist Church. They they moved the line a long time ago, and now they either have to, you know, move it back, whip it back with, you know, giving everybody whiplash or they've just got to move right down the road of redefining the family. And, you know, they say this is a compromise. This is not a compromise. We've lost. It's a sellout. It is yeah. a total sellout. Deborah on the line from North Richland Hills. Deborah, thank you for calling and holding. What's your view on Broadway Baptist? Well, um, I just want to say I've been hearing, I've been following the story since y'all have been airing it. I think it's a complete apostasy that Broadway is to the point now, like Pennant was saying, that they've moved the moved what is right, moved the line, moved the line, and now a family can't even be in the directory because they're going to offend the people living in sin. I mean, it's apostasy is what it is. Uh, well, thank you, Deborah. Well, I think most Bible-believing Christians will, will agree with you. And uh, I think here's the broader point. Uh, when we've talked about a constitutional amendment to protect marriage, uh, many people say, oh, protect marriage, what do you mean? What, what, is, what is the threat if two homosexuals get married? Uh, what's the threat to the family? It's not going to hurt your, your uh, traditional heterosexual marriage. It's not going to hurt your family. Well, in fact, the point is this. If marriage becomes anything, then marriage becomes no thing, nothing. You've, you've essentially destroyed the definition of marriage. You put two men, two women in these pictures together, and you say that's a marriage or that's a family, you have essentially eliminated the concept of marriage and family. And you have that parable played out sadly, ironically, at this church, where now no families will be recognized, no marriages will be recognized. And we want your thoughts. 800-881-9270. You call us. 800-881-9270. We'll talk about it when we come back. Hey. 
What are you doing with your life? If you're interested in doing ministry at college or just doing something for Christ now, come to Chriswell College and learn how you can get your education and get trained for ministry. Chriswell College in Dallas offers fully accredited bachelor's and master's degrees in biblical studies, youth ministry, missions, evangelism, counseling, and more. If you'd like to come and check us out, we're having a preview day on February 28th from 8.30 until 1 o'clock. Preview Day is a free event where you can sit in on some classes, have lunch with professors, ask any questions that you may have, and worship with us in chapel. Give us a call today at 214-818-1393 to reserve your spot. We would love to help you out and answer any questions that you may have. Call us, 214-818-1393, or go to chriswell.edu. Call 800-899-0012 for more information about Preview Day at the Chriswell College. You can also see more information on the web at chriswell.edu. The Chriswell College in Dallas. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's your host, Dr. Jerry Johnson, president of Chriswell College and Chriswell Communications. There are some folks who, coming out of the church, uh, have... You know, elevated one line in Romans uh, above the Sermon in the Mount. All right, that's Barack Obama. He's talking about homosexuality. What does the Bible say? I'm going to talk about that in just a few minutes. But Broadway Baptist Church uh, this week in the news again, and we want to know what you think about it. We've got Paul who's been holding. Paul, what's your view? Uh, yes, I, I think it's an excellent example of what happens when you listen to uh, other people saying, you know, you should be more tolerant, you should be more tolerant, and what do you get for it? It's like a one-way street. They don't yeah. want to be tolerant of you because they've accepted openly gay people as welcome members of their church, which I think is a good thing. But on the other hand, when they're agitating to say, you know, we want to now be, you know, as couples and partners in the directory, it's just another example of, you accommodate in the name of tolerance, and they're intolerant of respecting your principles of saying, look, you know, family should be married, husband and wife, you know, thing, things like that. Uh, hey, thanks, Paul. That's a, that's a very interesting observation. And uh, I'm going to answer that question you, you seem to allude to there in just a few minutes. Should practicing homosexuals be admitted into the church? That is a fundamental question. I think there's a straight answer on that. But Penna, remind our listeners about this situation at Broadway Baptist Church. We've got a couple other callers holding, too. All right. The church is in Fort Worth. It's Broadway Baptist Church. The members approved a recommendation by the church's board of deacons to have this directory include candid small and large group pictures in their church directory, not family portraits, and this is because gay couples wanted to be families. Of course, church members didn't like that idea, at least some of them. But this is what the pastor, Brett Younger, said. He said, if we look into the eyes of a gay Christian, we may have to rethink some of our opinions. So basically what he's basing this on is is emotion. In a sense, look at these people and change your policy because they're human beings. Okay, and what do you think of that concept of gay Christians in the church? And we're going to talk about that and uh, look at the scriptures. But let's go to Kathleen first on the line. Kathleen, what do you make of this? Hi. Um, I just wanted to say that that sounds more like a high school yearbook than something. Uh, it does. Like a, classical, uh, <laughs> a classical, what I know to be the classical form of a, of a church directory. And that's where you recognize families. And um, and then you have maybe some single folks that are pictured by themselves or, you know, I mean, it's, 
why can we not recognize um, these these the union of marriage? I mean, as it has been classically recognized um, in front of your church body, it just seems to me like it's. I agree with Paul. The, the last call it's an accommodation, and any time I alter um, my path as a Christian to accommodate something which I. Um, I mean, no matter how you argue it, view as sinful behavior. I just, I just, I don't know that I could attend that church, honestly. Well, thank you, Kathleen. And you know, what use would the directory be if you're trying to find someone in there and link their name with their picture? You have to go through all these chaos group, (laughs) group pictures to figure it out. We've got Billy on the line from Fort Worth. Billy, you're over there. You remember that church? And what do you think about this? Uh, yes, I think that's, that uh, Broadway is compromising the Bible and, and what it stands for on homosexuality. And um, in my opinion, they should rethink of calling themselves a, a church because they're not standing up for the total of what the Bible says about homosexuality. Mm. Well, I think that is the fundamental point, Billy, and I'm glad you said that. Uh, they're not standing up for what the Bible says about homosexuality. Now, I'm going to read the, quest- the pastor's quote again. Uh, Brett Younger, and by the way, there's a motion right now uh, that is a petition to vacate the pulpit. They've still got to have a vote on whether they're going to vacate the pulpit, and that means to vote the pastor out. Um, but they, they've accused him of pushing this pro-homosexual agenda, pushing this pro-liberal agenda. And he, But here's what he said, quote, If we look into the eyes of a gay Christian, we may have to rethink some of our opinions, end quote. Does he mean theology? Does he mean scripture? Rethink scripture. Rethink biblical uh, theology. Rethink our doctrinal statements. What does he mean by that? The idea of gay Christians. Do you ever read that in the New Testament, the idea of a homosexual Christian or a gay Christian? Well, I don't think you do. Let me just tell you, tomorrow you need to tune in because we're going to have Jeffrey Satinover on. He's written a major articles about how homosexuals change. And everybody's saying, can they change? He says all of them change as they get older. It's very interesting. And he's mm. a doctor. And also Governor Rick Perry is going to be on to talk about why the Boy Scout values are worth fighting for. Governor Rick Perry will be on tomorrow. We'll talk to him about the election. We'll also talk to him about the Boy Scouts and their stand on homosexuality. But the fundamental question is this. What does the Bible say? And let me just say, we don't just go to one verse in Romans, Mr. Obama. What we do is we go back and we begin at the beginning, and it's the first chapter. In the beginning, God created man in his image, male and female. And so human sexuality is part of what it means to be created in God's image. And we don't get to define that or redefine that. You're either male or you're female. And God has a plan for human sexuality. And the two shall become one. And he said, be fruitful and multiply. That cannot happen in a homosexual context at all. Um, As you go on... You see that homosexuality is a sin that results in judgment. If you look at Sodom, if you look at Gomorrah, if you look at uh, elsewhere in the Old Testament, you see that this is a sin that brought judgment. It is a violation of the Old Testament law. Leviticus 18 says, You shall not lie with a male as one lies with a female. And that rules out homosexual activity. It's a violation of the New Testament ethic. Paul says in 1 Timothy 1, 8 through 10, 
There's a vice list or a sin list there, and he includes two words. Uh, but one which is translated homosexuality, and the other for the ungodly. And so he categorizes this this lifestyle as an ungodly lifestyle. Over in 1 Corinthians 6, he has two words for homosexuality. He's very specific. He's almost clinical. And he has the effeminate word for homosexuality and the more aggressive. That is the male and the female. It's very interesting. Even in their sin, they... They have a male role and a female role, and um, there it is. But the good news is this, folks. Uh, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, that same chapter, some of you were like this. Such were some of you, the old King James says. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. No, we shouldn't be talking about gay Christians. We should be talking about Christians who used to be homosexuals, used to be alcoholics, used to be liars. Jesus Christ has come to seek and to save that which is lost. That is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He saves sinners. He doesn't leave us that way. This is Jerry Johnson Live with Pennedexter. We'll follow up on this tomorrow night. Jeffrey Satinover on homosexuality. Don't miss it. You've been listening to Jerry Johnson Live, a Christian worldview radio show. Join Dr. Jerry Johnson, president of Criswell College and Criswell Communications, Monday through Friday at 5 p.m. for an hour of relevant discussion of news and culture from a Christian perspective.